are you? How's your week going? Man, I really hope it's going well. Uh, welcome to another episode of Terribly Funny. I, of course, am your host, your buddy, your pal, uh, Steve Bazelon, and this is the podcast where I talk to funny people about terrible things. Ugh. What a week, huh? Um, hey, today we've got a great guest. Uh, it's a new friend, someone I just met uh, through other friends. It's Kristen Carney. Uh, she's delightful. I, I, I met her for the first time when I, when I interviewed her, and I think she's great. Um, I think you'll enjoy her. What can I tell you about Miss Carney? Well, um, she's a comic. She's a stand-up. She, you have heard her, uh, perhaps you've heard her, uh, a co-host the Adam Carolla Show. She's also done some co-hosting on Love Line with Dr. Drew. Uh, she also has a podcast of her own called Mentally Chill, uh, talking about mental health. Always a hot topic and a good time. Uh, but she's delightful, and we're going to get to talking to her in just a second. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, uh, having some uh, childhood surgeries, also being bullied. Uh, and then later on, what uh, her own battles with uh, mental health issues and losing a friend. Um, shit, it's a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a broad swath, and I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get to that, it's vegetable time. Here we go, gang. Do you like this podcast? I really hope you do. If you do, tell your friends. Uh, tweet about us. It's terribly underscore funny uh, go to our iTunes page give us a comment give us a rating give us a review we love that shit we really do also check us out on Instagram it's terribly funny podcast and drop us a line at our email it's terribly funny podcast at gmail I love to hear from you uh, it's really it's really delightful and it makes me feel uh, better it makes me feel better uh, anyways uh, that's it let's get to the good stuff and the good stuff is Kristen Carney here we go gang the yeah yeah so anyway i didn't get my fall but what else i did get donuts that's all that matters you know like that just like Mm -hmm. that when because i don't drink pumpkin lattes i'm not like the basic bitch but um i wanted to taste some sort of pumpkin something and i did and that's all i yeah i guess i could ask for yeah i like Like actual i'm not even a huge cider guy but i'm gonna i'm gonna at least have one or two a fall yeah and i and i'm gonna i'm gonna force myself to drink like one or two eggnogs and around the holiday yeah just (laughs) Just to do it yeah yeah Yeah, just to say just because you gotta lean in Mm -hmm. i've stopped i've since stopped i think when i was younger i'd like every year like i'm having a fucking shamrock shake i don't care (laughs) i know it's gross and all chemicals but it's I've never had one. They're gross. I mean, I live off of McDonald's. Oh, wow. And I've never had a Still? Yeah. I, wow. I have a weird addiction to McDonald's. Well, I mean, that makes sense. There are literally chemicals in there that are addictive. I know. So, yeah. And it, what it, I honestly go there when I'm having an anxiety attack because it calms me down. I get that, man. Comfort. It's I have, comfort. Like, I, totally. I eat probably two or three times a week from the diner uh, swingers. Yeah. Um, just because where I used to live is very close. And now it's not as close. I'm Beverly. The one yeah, I'm Beverly. Um, but just because it's like, well, this is comforting. There's one of three things I get. And when I walk in there, they all kind of know me. I can call sometimes I know my voice and be like, yeah, you want that? And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but just like a creature of habit. Yeah, like, but you're not like on my comfort. level of McDonald's. No. That's pathetic. You've got yeah. like a nice comfort. Food. No, it's like, it's like a bougie diet. Yeah. yeah. Their food's really good. They have like vegan options. Yes. They're not like a real diet. Yeah. 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 So. Um, Maybe I'll get to swingers as my comfort food one day. Yeah, man, baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been here for 15 years. Once you get to 10, yeah, maybe okay. then you make the leap. Right, you right, know? All right. I got a few more months. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um, I guess tell me some bad stuff, man. Um, so I was trying to... Th- so on the... 
I realized it was terribly funny because I was maybe just going to go with a terrible it's, route. It's but. honestly like it's that's what it tends to be, and then you're like there's a few hahas, or right. sometimes we just I don't know. It's it's amorphous, man. I probably I it's prob- jazz, baby. It's totally it's, it's bebops and yeah. skilly wops. You can't write yeah. it. Just let them riff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess I was just talk going to talk about uh, my I when I was three. Um, my uh, my left eye started to cross. Okay. So. Um, is that usual? Is that a thing that usually happens later? No. Uh, usually, I mean, I don't know when it technically would normally happen. I think it would be earlier in life, right. but I know that you can't really fix a crossed eye later in life. I guess. Huh. So I lucked out by That's getting sure. it early, so sure. that. You know, it's not cross anymore for anyone listening. No, your eyes look very straight. I get paranoid sometimes. I'm like, is it crossing? Is it crossing? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, But so I have this thing called, um, or I had, but I guess maybe still have, I don't know, um, uh, called accommodative esotropia. Wow. Which I'm impressed that you can say it. Thank you. I didn't really learn what I had until maybe like five years ago. Right. You know, um, is this just from parents like recounting stories to you or, um, well, I remember it clears. I remember a lot of it. Um, so basically the story goes, um, I used to sit really close to the TV, which is not what caused it. Sure. Cause I think sometimes no, cause everybody, everybody have crossed eyes. Yeah. If that was the case. At least I would. But when I was a little kid, I would sit with my legs, you know, when you put your knees together and you can bend your, it's like a very flexible type. Oh sure. You know, but a lot yeah, of little yeah. kids can do it. Yeah. I would always sit like that. And my mom said one day she walked by and noticed that my left eye looked like it was going in uh-huh. pretty drastically and it kind of scared her. And, um, once I was done watching TV, it didn't go away. Oh no. So it freaked her out. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the next day she called, um, a doctor and, you know, obviously there was no internet back then. This was 1986. Um, and so she didn't know how to deal with it and they directed her to a specialist kind of further away from where we lived. Anyway, um, my, then my right eye started to cross. So I had, um, two crossed eyes, which, oh boy. I mean, if I was a mom, if I'd want to fix If one cross is enough, does it equal, does it straighten out again? <laughs> right. That's, it's almost it like, does comes, it negate? Comes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It like goes full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish. Uh, so my mom, um, uh, anyway, yeah, we got, we found a specialist and I had 20, 20 vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, basically my muscles, the accommodative part in the name of the thing that I have is, uh, it's like you're, you're your muscle is weak and it's trying to like accommodate seeing or something. I really don't totally understand. I should actually Google it more than I, or have more than I have. Um, but basically your eye is trying to stay, to focus, to get the 20, to keep your 20, 20 vision or something, but it's working so hard. The eyes muscle starts to, it goes in because it's like, it can't figure out. Oh, okay. I guess what it's trying to, it's like almost like an amino thing where it's like, we're working too hard and creating another problem. Yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, I was scheduled pretty quickly to have surgery. I don't remember the pre, any of this, like the appointments yeah, before three. I was three, sure. yeah. but it's weird because my first memory is of, um, being in the hotel room the day before the surgery. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, it wasn't too far away, but it was about an hour, hour and a half away from where I grew up. And because not a, a hotbed for, uh, for surgeons, for, for medicine. No. Yeah. Um, so we stayed at the hotel and I remember the whole thing. It's crazy because I was three years old and I remember it literally like it was yesterday. We were in a hotel room and my dad is awesome. I love my dad to death, but, um, he's an Italian. 
Sure. So, I'm familiar. You know. I'm a Basilone, yeah. Yeah. So for 24 hours before the surgery, I couldn't eat. And I remember my dad sitting at the table in the hotel room, there's a little round table, eating a pizza. Uh-huh. And my mom was like, John, on, you know, man. come on. You're like, rubbing it in. Yeah. And he goes, she's all right. And I just remember him saying that she's all right. Um, but I desperately wanted some, I was starving, yeah. you know, I desperately wanted some pizza. And then the next memory I have is being, um, in the hospital for the surgery and I was in a red flyer wagon and didn't really understand that anything bad was happening. Like I just right. was like, this is cool. I'm in a wagon. Yeah. I've got my crayons and coloring books and teddy bear and just felt like totally con- um, content. My mom was yeah. there. My dad was there. It was just awesome. I wish that for all of my the surgeries I've had, I wish I would have gone in a red flyer wagon. Yes. I would have I, been like, this feels maybe condescending, but I'm yeah. happier here. They should do it for adults. Yeah, something. They Give should. Just like a bed that's like looks like a race car. Yeah, it's something scarier man. for adults because we're aware more of our mortality. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? It's terrifying. Yeah, you need more comfort. I mean, you're like also are like, all right, give me those drugs. Yeah. Like, at least yeah. like make me calm that way. But, you know, it'd right. be cool if my bed looked like a spaceship. Totally. That's actually yeah. a good idea. Yeah. I feel like we should campaign for that or something. We make Patch Adams the hospital. Yes. Yeah. So I was totally content. And then all of a sudden I remember seeing um, a gas mask coming toward my face. And I just was like, wait a second. No, 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 no. This yes. is not, um, this doesn't feel right. And then obviously I don't remember anything after that. Um, until I woke up um, from the surgery and it is crazy because I don't know if it was just so traumatizing that a three-year-old can remember right because three I think is pretty early for memories yeah. maybe five yeah. four or five maybe seems more realistic um, but I remember waking up in the um, recovery room and my hospital bed was um, or not my hospital bed I was in the bed and I vomited onto the hospital bed oh and, or onto the pillow. I'm sorry. From anesthesia. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess during the surgery I was waking up and so they gave me more and it was sure. too much. Oof. And so I threw up on my pillow and I remember asking the nurse if she could get me a new pillow. I just remember like, I, I don't know how I asked, but I just wanted a new pillow. I just mm-hmm. said, can I have a new pillow or that something? That seems reasonable. Like, yeah. yeah. Mine's covered in puke. Yeah. And she came over and this was basically like, the beginning of my new reality, which was basically reality. Yes. Like it was almost like I was thrown into like more of a, the harsh world mm-hmm. from the comfort that I had come from, which was being three and babied all the time. And I was the baby of which my family. Just like having any consciousness in general. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it was like my first memory of being in existence is basically of just this harshness. Um, because she came over, the nurse came over and just flipped the pillow. What? She didn't replace it. Well, that's a bad nurse, man. Bad nurse. And I was like, your work ethic's lazier than my eye. Yeah. Ah, that was a good three-year-old jerk, though. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like thus begins reality. And, yeah. you know, life on earth was that moment she just flipped the pillow. And, um, and then I remember my mom coming in and comforting me and whatever. And I stayed there for a while um, because I was really sick. I think I, it was probably one of those surgeries where you could leave pretty quickly after. Right. Um, but I was so sick that I remember staying for a long time. And then once I did leave, they gave me a puke bucket um, to take home. And I remember my jacket I was wearing and everything. And so once we got home, um, I had a couple weeks 
of recovery where my eyes were um, totally basically filled with blood. Oh, like the whites of my eyes were pure blood. Jesus. And so it was very intense looking. Yeah, it looks like uh, the crafters. It mm-hmm. looks like a like fire I starter. Looked, I looked evil. Yeah. So my... Um, That's nuts. Do you have pictures of that? I don't. I, my uh, mom might, but yeah. I don't think she's... I should ask her. Yeah, She's that's never a crazy shown thing. Me. That's a hell of a TBT, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I had um. So my brother and my brother and um. I have a brother and sister, but my brother and cousins, they're older boys. They're all boys, and they started calling me not to be mean. They loved me, and I was like the little baby of the family. So they were pr- really, really great to me. But they started calling me Wolfman. Sure. So I was Wolfman. Um, that's is that stuck? And it, it didn't really stick, thank God. I mean, I'm hairy enough for it to be true. Sure, sure. Like I mentioned the Italian thing. Uh-huh. But, um, no, it was just for the portion of... Then worse names came by other people. Oh, like, of course. outside of Yeah, because you're growing family. up and everybody's terrible. Yeah, yeah. so I had the um, the black... Or the, the red bloodshot eyes. And every morning, I, and I remember this vividly, I would wake up and I couldn't open my eyes because they would have, they dried shut from the blood. Oof. So my mom Ugh. would have to come with water or a solution and like loosen it. Like the worst it. kind of pink eye? Yeah. Ugh. And she'd just kind of loosen it with a cotton ball so that I could open my eyes. So I just remember being, like, waking up and it's just this fear of I couldn't open my eyes and I couldn't see anything. It was like feeling blind. And also you're still so young that do you, like, how much of a grasp do you really have as to what's happening? Right, yeah. right, right. At the time it just felt like fear yeah. to me because I couldn't see when I would wake up. Um, and uh, And then once... The blood shot, the blood went away. Then I had to start wearing um, a patch. So I, so basically, they had to ruin my vision to fix my eye, to hold them straight. Oh wow! So I guess what they did in the surgery was like they cut, they cut the muscle and they tighten it. Oof! And and so my eye still crosses without contacts or glasses. Wow! Yeah. So secretly, I'm a crossed eye. Sure. I have. I have. No, I know people like a few people like that. It's awful. It's my, awful. My, uh, uh, it's like, it's a great tell, actually. My, my boss, um, if when he gets tired, the one eye just starts to drift. Mm-hmm. And it's like always like when we're working late and it's like 9.30 and you start to see that eye mm-hmm. going. You're like, no, baby, no, we're going home soon. Home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a great like poker tell. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think, so basically, I think it runs in my family because um, uh, one of my cousins... He's a second cousin. He's a, well, technically a third cousin. It's my mom's cousin's son. He has a crossed eye and they never fixed it and his eyes still cross to this day. Um, my first cousin, Jesse, he had the same thing, but they didn't fix it. And he, I don't know, they always just, my family just say, says he like willed his eyes straight because mm-hmm. he has perfectly straight eyes now. Hmm. But um, he had glasses and stuff to try to hold it straight. But eventually he just like threw out the glasses and just refused to wear. I really don't understand how it happened. Um, because his eye is perfectly straight. He doesn't wear glasses or contacts as right. far as I know. Um, and, uh, and he had, to, I, I don't think he had to do a patch, but I, maybe he did. I, he's a lot older than me, so I can't remember, but, um, I did have to wear a patch over one lens of my glasses. So my glasses I ended up getting are super thick. So sure. like the Coke bottle thing times like a thousand and then. Which is a great look for a little kid. Totally. Actually, it's very cute as a little kid. Yeah, but if you're a cute kid. Mm-hmm. I was not a cute kid. You were not a cute kid. I was not a cute so kid. So you really got your shit together later in life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was it was pretty harsh because like I had this huge, frizzy, thick hair and like a space between, like big space Blood between my Blood red eyes. Blood red eyes, yeah. the, the patch, the, the thick glasses. Um, 
I didn't like nothing came together well for me until maybe I was like 17 or 18 and right. started to shift when I figured out makeup and sure and straightening my hair yeah and whatever um isn't that weird how that happens like you <coughs> remember like seeing like some kids from high school who like had to like had it all figured out like in sixth grade. Yeah. You're like, God, you're put together mm-hmm. and you're like also somehow magically hit puberty at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. And then you see them now like, oh, wow, it fell apart. Mm-hmm. Or the inverse of like, right, you right, were right. a disaster. You were, I mean, like I think, I remember in like seventh grade asking my mom like, hey, can can I get jeans that don't have elastic in them? <laughs> and she's like, all right. And I was like, <laughs> going out on yeah. Sure. And it just like, man, did not know, did not have it together, but somehow managed to get together at some point. Right. Right. Well, you, I think, I mean, it's the old tale of like people who peaked in high school versus people who didn't, you have to develop character. Sure. And I, I mean, in a, in a sense, I'm happy that, it happened because it did... I mean, I don't know how I would have turned out if I didn't have a cross eye. Maybe I would have turned out to be a huge bitch. Yeah. You know, and like a terrible you, person. Do you think, because you were so young, do you think that really laid like the, the tract for like, I don't know, humility or like... Totally. Uh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Like even, I, even, even at that age, you're like, well, everything is fragile. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I felt like if I was that um, insightful about it, but I just knew that um, I had to... It was, I guess, it's also that kind of cliche thing. Like, I had to protect myself in a way, and the way that I would do that was with humor. Um, right. And I knew it was like basically like, okay, this is gonna sound maybe terrible. And sure. This is probably not a great metaphor. Uh, probably not the best, but it was almost like I looked like I was retarded, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, and I knew I wasn't but I didn't know how to express that I wasn't to people. Did you even have an understanding at that age, like what being like, is uh, no, like being slow was? I don't being think- Being mentally it, challenged or whatever, like did you even have, like, cause I remember like- I, I mean, maybe not at three, maybe more around like six or right, seven. Right, But I started to feel like that's, I looked like I would be in the slow classes. Right. And I didn't have any control, I think, and now I'm so obsessed with um, the way I look and appear to people because mm-hmm. I was always micromanaging it from a very young age. Right. And it was very frustrating because at that age I didn't have access to picking out cool clothes sure. or you're not in charge of your life. Hairstyling or, yeah. you know, your image. Like you mm-hmm. didn't really, I didn't have control of my image. Not that I'm the coolest person at all now. You're very well put together. But like, you know, you got a hip outfit on. Hip enough, but it's it's like because I'm still, I think, trying to prove that I'm not that person that people right. saw when I was three and six and nine and twelve and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was like inside, it's basically like it was like being under anesthesia, mm-hmm. and your you can't move your body, but your mind is there. Right. That's kind of how it felt as a kid, like my entire life. It was like. I couldn't, my mind was there, I could tell everyone, like, this is not who I am. Right. But I couldn't express it physically or something. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. I think that feels like um, a very universal uh, adolescent feeling. I mean, I think, wasn't Mm -hmm. that, like, essentially, like, the basis of the whole, like, It Gets Better campaign? Right, yeah, yeah. It's just like, man, I feel like I just don't belong. I feel like I should because I'm not that wildly different. Why right. does this feel so hard? Why can't right. I express? Cause you just like kind of don't have the tools. Like I remember like in you know middle school being like the ways that I had to uh, really kind of identify myself were like my shoes and whatever bands I liked mm-hmm. because I didn't beyond that. That's 
that's not there's not there's no nuance at that age exactly it's just like what do you like Mm -hmm. if you like the same things maybe I'll think you're cool yeah if you like the same television shows and if you have airwalks versus vans maybe I'll like you oh my god I was obsessed with airwalks I had one pair actually no I had um one stars like converse oh, did like a, yeah. like kind of a a, 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 a what like a skater shoe yeah, kind of version this. and I had I those and I, they weren't that cool but like I had to I had to fucking lobby just to get those things they man. they would be cool today though sure because like you know everyone's in the, yeah, in the converse yeah. back then but yeah I thought the one stars almost seemed like cheaper or, or not cheaper not that I knew anything about money but like they didn't seem yeah I guess it's cool they didn't have the image. Yeah, but, that's what like my like I got these. Yeah, and then I just finally like mom was doing Converse all the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, but then I you know like at, like you mentioned bands, you know. Sure. Then I started to get into music and things because it was right. It was the way I could express that like. Yeah, who I, th- I am well, inside. I think that's like at that age, like you don't, you just don't have the tools. You don't can't articulate. And you also don't have the emotional maturity or intelligence to be like this will pass. You don't have the right. life experience to like I'm gonna get this together. Right. So when you have like a band that's whoever it is, if it's Ani DeFranco or it's Sonic Youth, they're like, they, right. they're talking about right. a teenage riot. That's what I like. Yeah. You know? I wish that someone, I mean, maybe they did, but I wish at like six years old, someone said, listen, there are these things called contact lenses. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. And you will have those very soon. Yeah. You know, it was like, I. it seemed like an eternity to ever get out of behind the, you know, it was hard because um, in my town, the, there was a, I'm from a very, very small town, yeah, as sure. we've declared. Uh, but there was a pool there. It's called the Big Pool. Mm-hmm. Of course. And everyone would go swimming at the Big Pool. Is it a big pool? It, it was a big, big pool. Hey, man, that's a good name for it, then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. They did not get creative. It's like I named my teddy bear Teddy. They sure. Just, you know, whatever. We're just... Hey, call a spade a spade, man. Exactly. Go straightforward. Exactly. We don't need to be clever about everything. No, we don't. No. And they didn't... They clearly don't want to impress anybody mm-hmm. where I'm from, but... Uh, Everyone took syn- synchronized swimming lessons. Really? Yeah, it was what weird. A, it was like a thing. What, like a throwback to like the Dust Bowl? Totally. Yeah. And so it was really difficult because I would I wanted to do swimming and synchronized swimming, but I couldn't wear my glasses, so my eyes would cross. Right. Um, and so I, I learned, I, I never, I don't think I'd be naturally very social anyway, but I, I would hang out in the back. You know, I'd kind of cover my eyes put my, my left eye crossed more than my right. So I would usually hold my, this was like my position uh-huh. where I would just stand. Just one hand slightly crossed. in front of the face. Yep. One eye, it just almost like casual, like, oh, I'm just itching my eye for four hours while we're here, you know, at swimming yeah. lessons. Um, and, and, uh, and so contacts couldn't come soon, soon enough. Right. So. Isn't that interesting though? Like the little things that nobody fucking ever noticed. No one noticed that you were in the back doing this. But, like, you're so insecure about those things. Like, I remember in, like, middle school, also, like, I was, like, somewhat of a late bloomer. Probably didn't really, like, hit puberty till like, freshman year-ish. Yeah. The yeah. end of freshman year. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But, like, I remember I would always hold my hands with, like, uh, two or three fingers, two mm-hmm. fingers out. And I would, like, keep the, the, the pinky and, what, the, mid, the middle? No, the pointer, I guess. What the fuck is this? The ring finger. Mm-hmm down just because like I was insecure about like having smaller hands because I wow. was had not had puberty yet wow and it was like nobody fucking noticed that no, right. but I just remember just like you talking about doing holding like this mm-hmm. it's like the neuroses and like the insecurity that we have at that age that is just based on really nothing right and you just wish you would like one person to be like hey 
no a a no one gives a fuck because everybody's right. worried about their own shit. Well, and I B, was, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. Well, I was picked on really badly. I was yeah. I was bullied pretty badly. So I'm for sure, the for the cross eyes. It. I think it put me in a position to bully me. It sure. wasn't necessarily like hey four eyes or cross yeah. eyes, but I think it didn't put me like I wasn't a candidate for the cool kids club right. essentially. But so I was picked on, but I'm sure no one in the million years was noticing me doing this. Yeah. But I was still very uncomfortable around most kids socially because yeah. you know they were either nice one day or mean the next day and that went on my entire until I was like 18 um, so but I, I have a weird thing with the bullying too it's like I think I, I'm like pro bullying in a way mm-hmm. because it gave me more character right you know and I don't I don't want kids to be bullied I but what you're I think what you're saying is like there is there's merit that comes out there's a silver lining sometimes it's as much as you want to protect people from that shit that that's how you learn it creates it creates some sort of creativity in you or what it brings out whatever might be in there I mean obviously it can go the wrong way where kids can either oh for sure it can be awful but like sometimes if they're like you as a kid you have to like I, you know, glance the hot stove to recognize like, oh, that can hurt me. Right. And then you have the tools to become an adult. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, in a way I'm thankful for the cross eye, thankful for the bullying, um, but also not at the same time. Right. You know, do you think you said like you 18, was that like just like a fresh start? You got to go to go, go away. You, but you're not around the same people because it's a small town. So I assume it's like the same cast of characters all the time. Well, um, it ended up going away around 18 because maybe 17 because um, when I was a sophomore in high school, it got so bad that I changed high schools. Oh boy. And so you were really put through the ringer. Yeah. No, like it wasn't like easy, but it was mm. not like, what was like, what would, what did this bullying look like? Was it just like name calling? Was it like actually like physically, uh, I mean, you know, high school kids yeah, push and shit. But. Yeah. No, there was never really anything physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I was on, um, I I was on a podcast recently. La di da. And yeah, yeah. But they were saying like, well, that's not bullying. I'm like, well, it's different for girls because girls, it's more of a psychological. No, I think bully. it's also like that's what we're talking like cyberbullying. Like it's the same thing. Oh, it's, it's just awful. like yeah, it was. A, that was the shit that I think stayed with me much more than anybody like book checking me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a lot of I I I'm so I'm 34 now. So when I was. Um, maybe 12 or 13 AOL came around. Sure. And so that did not help the situation because AOL Messenger. Mm-hmm. And so I started, it was like I was right at that beginning where cyberbullying was a new, on the horizon of like a new thing. Yeah, not like the same and as, as gross as it is now, but no. it's still like, I can get you anywhere. Yeah, yep. And so I wouldn't be safe, so I'd be at home on the computer and on AOL Messenger and all of a sudden a message would pop in from one of those girls. Right. You know, um, either... You know, I think I maybe printed out and saved a few. I think I might have like a in my box, my keep box sure, sure. at home. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't the majority of time cyberbullying, but that did start a little here and there because, like I said again, like came up, came right out when we were right at that awful age. Um, but it was like, it was like um, couldn't turn the hallway without being afraid that I'd see one of them and it would be some name calling. Um, it would be like, you can't, it was very psychological. Like one, one time they tailgated me home, um, literally like five inches from my bumper, Oof. 
you know, I just was trying to drive home and it was and, like a group of them. And at that moment, like, I'm sure like, they're just like, we're just fucking with you. But like, even from your perspective, like this feels like unsafe. It's very scary. This could be like, this could, bad things could come out of this. Yeah. Very bad things. Yeah. Not just like, uh, mental warfare. Yeah. I didn't really look at it as much though, as like, I'm afraid we could get in an accident. It was just we're alone in a well I think actually that time uh, my friend Katie was in the car with me but it was just her and I that was was my only friend Um, but it was just so intimidating being followed by a group of like six girls in a car all getting like sadistically excited over scaring the fuck out of you you know it's just gross and then like little things would happen where they'd invite me to a birthday party I'd show up and they'd say "You're, you're not invited oof or we only, you know, my parents said only 26 people could come and you're number 27. So you have to leave. That's fucked, man. And so it'd be, it'd be really humiliating because I would show up and yeah. be excited that I was invited. And, um, and, and I couldn't go to, you know, and then once we got a little bit older, more into like the 15, 16 parties, I couldn't go to parties. They would like, you know, mock me until I left oh. or something like, you isn't know, also, so, stuff like that. Isn't that also interesting? Like, I'm sure like when you were younger... Uh, you had like all these things like where you just you're not in control of your life you don't get to pick what clothes you wear right. you can't control if like you've got a f- fucking thick glasses or hair or, you know a, 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 a bird's nest of hair right but then you get to that age you're still like very awkward but I'm sure you're like figuring things yeah. out more yeah. but it doesn't even matter because you have this like history of these people and like you're always just going to be like the fucking loser that we make fun of as yeah. opposed to like saying yeah. like oh well I think the problem was was that I was actually like a really nice kid mm-hmm. and on top so of it, target. I was a target because yeah. I wouldn't go along with bullying other people. Cause I remember when we were younger, um, I was at a birthday party and they were singing a really mean song about a girl that wasn't invited Sure. and I wouldn't sing it. You know, it was like stuff like that where I just knew oh, you were a reasonable person. Yeah. I was like, this is not okay. And yeah. this is idiotic and I'm, I'm way above this and, but I wouldn't act snotty. I would just, you know, more kind of power away and right and i wouldn't say like guys you shouldn't do that because i wasn't strong enough but i just well, wouldn't so you just... you're like i already have a fucking bullseye on me i don't need to make right. like extra targets right and then i remember you know the girl they you know one of the girls they hated they they said we were on a school trip in sixth grade or some some stupid stuff like this and and they were like are you gonna hang out with her or us and i and i picked her because i'm like i'm not an asshole Um, and so it was like that kind of stuff put the target on my back further because I wouldn't go along with them being mean to other people. Um, so yeah, it, um, it's a childhood is weird and, and awful. And I mean, it's weird because I try to let it go. I, I do really try to let it go. I don't think about it consciously every day, but I'll occasionally have dreams about them. And about a week ago I had a dream that the girl who was like the 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 leader, she, in my dream, she died. Um, And so this is not like if she gets murdered or something, it wasn't me, I swear. I just, (laughs) but I have premonition dreams. So if she does die here is on the podcast, me saying that she did. Um, but in my dream she had died and then she was haunting me and she was like being very poltergeisty. She was like slamming the door and then would open, like whip open the door and I'd be like, please stop. And then she slammed the door again and start moving my stuff. It was really creepy and scary, but my brain, like, I didn't think about, I haven't, I don't think about her in my daily life. It just sneaks up in my brain. Yeah. It's locked away. Yeah. Do you, have you had, because I've had this experience a few times where like there was kids, I mean, I got teased, I think somewhat in middle school, but then I very quickly recognized like how to, you know, 
I feel like I feel like I always say like the pub, going to public school taught me the art of like bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Like allowed me to like oh I can make I can be a little bit funnier or I I can do whatever to just make it so there's less of a target on me. Yeah. But uh, I do like a few times you know going home so not home a ton but like run into kids that like were kind of assholes yeah. in middle school and high school. Yeah. And seeing them now is like. I don't know if like underneath the veneer of being an adult, you maybe are still like a little bit of an asshole, but like by and large, people are just like, we're adults now. Like, like that shit doesn't fly. Right. Like you have to be like, everybody's like, I think it's just like a little bit of recognizing fucking life is hard. Or I've got so many things. I got three kids and a more, or whatever the fuck it is. And just right. like recognizing like, oh, you're just a nice person. Right. Maybe who knows what you were going through that made you like that. Yeah. But I think by and large, I like when I come across these people who were like at some point, tyrannical to me it's like oh either you're better at hiding it because you've recognized that's not cool right or you're like just you know there's an emotional Actually, story that comes, that comes with age yeah has well, that been like your experience i i have a hard time i become very i think stubborn and, and close-minded mm-hmm. because i see those people as they are naturally bad people right and i don't care what they're doing now to me the inside they are bad people um so does that like, but I know that might not really be the case right. but to me that's how I see them um, from bit from a little bit of bitterness and sure. and anger and some hate um, but like one of them I did maybe two years ago I looked and like their Facebook picture was like not even a picture you know it wasn't a picture of them it was like a saying of like being a kind person mm-hmm. and I literally was like vomit eye roll please yeah and um they actually a few of them went through like a phase where they started dressing like hippies and were being like oh like peace and love sure and it's just like i i couldn't roll my eyes longer at that right because you are polar opposite than what a hippie is yeah and i i and i mean maybe that's what they've become but i think inside they do have like a mean streak or a mean do you feel like, I guess there's a deeper question, like, I think, like, you're totally validated in, like, feeling that way of, like, what the hypocrisy of, like, you're talking about love, but also, yeah. I guess, a bigger question, like, uh, fundamental question, like, do you think that people can change over time to some degree? I mean, like, I feel like when I look back at myself at, like, 8 years old, at, like, 12 years old, at 20 years old, I feel like not that different, but I know that, like... I feel like my personality has changed like by erosion. Like it's mm-hmm. not something that's like a big chunk at a time. Yeah. It's not, um, I, I feel like it's like the, uh, the, the Colorado river and the grand Canyon. Like I've changed a lot, mm-hmm. but it's just like so slow that it's like, I can see how I'm different from those a- ages. Even if like the tenets of my personality are similar, mm-hmm. like there is like a soft, more of a softness. There's more of a kindness. There's less hubris. I think by mm-hmm. and large, I mean, I may be not, I may be fooling myself, but I feel like there has been those changes over time. So that's a long winded way of saying like, do you think that's possible for people? Or do you think that's a little bit bullshit? I think it's po- I, I think it's possible for people that I don't know because I can see them in a different perspective. Right. But the people that I know I have, and this is probably why I can't let it go and my, my, I still dream about it and stuff because I, I can't see them. I think they can put on a facade of changing and mm-hmm. being good people, but I, I don't think that they could ever become actually good people. If, if they were wanted to become really good people, they would write me an apology right, or something or not just me, but all the people that they were awful to. And they don't right. do that. They, they'll friend request me on Facebook. And I think that's kind of their way to say like, Hey, you know, maybe 
right. you know, maybe a little something, but I genuinely, if they wrote me a genuine, if someone, one of them wrote me a genuine apology, I might change my mind, but we're 34. And I mean, I don't want to still be harping on it and hanging on it, but, um, if they did actually change and if it was possible, I do think one of them would have stepped forward and just said, you know what? I'm really sorry for right. all the shit we put you through. Not one person did that. This girl that I was roommates with in Chicago about 10 years ago actually just wrote me a couple days ago. She was awful. Mm. Um, she was an awful roommate. She was going through her own stuff. She wasn't a bad person. Right. But she had a massive... You caught her at a bad time in life. I did. And she, she had a massive eating disorder and um, wouldn't... I tried to help her and she got very angry with me. And then... Um, uh, I moved, I moved, but when I moved, I moved out of the state and I, and she would not let someone else move into my room. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I ended up having to pay rent for, she just made your life, diff- life yeah. difficult. And she just wrote to me, it's been 10 years, but she wrote to me and just said, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm sorry. And right. so for her, I don't, I never thought she was a bad person, but she was being shitty. Right. And so that was a big, big thing for her to send that. And that what she did to me was so minor in comparison to what those other girls did and they still haven't. But also, you know what you were closer to an adult then, right? You're like early twenties kind of thing. So it's like, you know, there is also, I'm more cognizant of like the errors that I made when I was not wet clay. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're definitely aware. Sure. They know what they did to me. So I had to, so when I changed high schools, I left for a year and then went back. So I was gone for my uh, sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. And then once I was gone for a year, I really, that's when I started to grow some confidence. Right. I went to this other school and at that other school, um, I knew some of the kids because I was, um, outside of school, I was in this performing group, mm-hmm. a dance and song troupe thing. We traveled. And so I had really, that's where my only friends were really in that dance group, but none of them went to my normal, regular high school. So when I transferred high schools, I transferred to a Catholic private school that was about a 35 minute drive away, which was a lot lot compared to my other school, which was two minutes away. So I went there for a year and I had those friends already. And then people were generally pretty nice to me and I was a new kid, but people weren't mean to the new kid. It was like, it was good. So I started to grow some, some of my own balls, I guess. Sure. And then I went back to my old school for my junior and senior year. And, um, when I went back, I had this new sense of self where I realized that they weren't the entire world. There were so many other people out there and the other people liked me. Right. And so when I went back, um, that they definitely weren't my friends. They didn't, we, she, they wouldn't speak to me, but the bullying kind of went down. And also it was like, when I did transfer high schools, because there was only about 150, 140 kids in my class. When I transferred, it was a big deal. It was like kind of big news. Mm -hmm. Our family wasn't moving. Right. Everyone in our town went to our high school. school, No one went to a different school. Mm -hmm. And so by me saying that me saying this has gotten so bad that I need to leave, it kind of woke up other people to how awful they were actually being. And I think people weren't okay with that. And not that anyone ever came out and said, you guys shouldn't do that. But I think people will just realize, whoa, that's really uncool that you guys were so mean to Kristen. Right. She has to actually leave the school. And when I came back, people seemed really genuinely happy that I was there. That's good. Um, so you held up a mirror to some, some reason. Yes, exactly. So that was a good, that was a good experience. Um, it was hard and mm-hmm. scary and intimidating. And when I came back, it was like, I came back with some balls, but also most, a lot of the balls were fake because right. I was still really scared. Do you, because now you, you have a podcast about mental health. Mm-hmm. 
Um, do you, how much of that do you think plays into things like that? Um, uh, to some degree, like, you know, when your hormones are all over the place, especially at that age, like how much facets, tenets of like depression or tenets of, um, um, obsessive compulsion or any, you know, even like things that could, that, cause all these like social taboos, like I think by and large, that's what, you know, you're talking about, like these things that should not be taboos because they're so normal. How many people deal with any level of depression? How many people have bipolarity in their family or in themselves and all those things, but like how much of that factor into like, maybe that's a thing that you, you don't know what's happening with other people's lives. Um, well, do you mean, so do you mean like, uh, the having maybe some bullying in their background that could bring out mental health problems? Yeah, or just, or just even just like, you know, that um, I know when I have been an unhappy person, I have subsequently probably made other people unhappy. Right. I have, there's, you know, it's a silly colloquialism, but like misery loves company or like, you know, I... It's rare that I feel like somebody who's happy is dragging other people down or like <laughs> mocking other people right. because you don't care to do that when you're when you're seeing the world through you know uh, amber colored glasses like you don't take the time to do that shit. Yeah. Well, so think- there's like a the base level of like unhappiness and then begetting other people making them unhappy. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's I think there's people who are unhappy mm-hmm. and know they're unhappy and drag other people down intentionally. And then I think there are people who don't know they're unhappy mm-hmm. and seem maybe happy, sure. but then will drag other people down even though they come across as like a happy person. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's, and I am continuing to speak about the people that I experienced it with specifically because whenever you'd see them, they looked like they were having the time of their life. For sure. They were always social, having fun, but then they would do these things that only a deeply unhappy person would do. Yeah. So, um, so I think that you can be both. You can be, see, you can be happy but secretly sad and drag people down, and you can be sad and drag people down. I I know for me, I, so with the mental health thing, I actually didn't. When I was in high school and I was going through these things, I don't think I ever actually was depressed. Mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> I had two really, I had two good friends in my high school and then one of them went away. It was, that's a long, another story, but so I basically had one good friend, mm-hmm. but when I had the two, they both had, um, different backgrounds than me. They both had divorced parents, difficult childhoods, and I had everything. I had a great family mm-hmm. and my parents were together and it was all love. And I would, you know, I just, we lived in a really nice house. And in, in, in comparison to a really nice house here, sure. our house is nothing, but in Utica, in Utica yeah, small town terms, we had a nice house. Um, and those two of my good friends, they were, they were my good friends and, and that they were my only friends, but they were also, I think a little angry with me because of my like good upbringing. I think mm-hmm. they, they basically what I'm trying to get to here is I thought maybe I was depressed in high school, but they basically, they told me, and I kind of use this as a joke my whole life. Um, they basically told me I was too shallow to be depressed. Right. And at that time it was like, I didn't write poetry and I didn't wear all black 
you know, and that's what we knew of depression. Right. So like I didn't do that and I had a nice family and my mom cooked dinner every night at five and I danced. So like I wasn't allowed to be depressed. So right. I don't know in high school if, if I wasn't so self-conscious and self-aware, maybe I would have actually been depressed. Mm -hmm. But when I, um, my depression started when I was about 18 or 19, which is ironic because that's when the bullying stopped. Right. Um, that's when I went away to college. But I started to get depressed because when I was in high school, it was like when I'm out of high school, everything's going to be awesome. Right. Life, like my, I'm going to spread my wings and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then once I kind of got to 18 or 19 and life is life and it's not all of a sudden this grand beautiful movie like you think it's going to be that's when I started to well, fall into a depression I think that makes sense I can't you know speak to your experience but I know um, shortly after I had like a very traumatic period where like uh, got divorced and then my grandmother and my mother all died in a very quick oh, quick, a quick uh, span of yeah. time um, that there was like a year or a year and a half after that where I feel like it was by and large just a lot of um adrenaline and like fight or flight it was just like you're just focused on like staying above water yeah and to equate that to your terms like you know high school was probably that and just like well once i get out of this it's gonna be great um but i know like after like i got a year out of that and like well there's nothing really wrong anymore there's no nobody's dying i'm healthy um i don't have any real substantial emotional or romantic problems everything is fine i've got a job um cool part or cool condo or yeah exactly <laughs> so you know I mean that, this was like a while ago but then I feel like that year and a half after all of these hardships happened was actually in many ways more difficult mm -hmm. because I was um, kind of being hard on myself like yeah. there's nothing wrong now and the thing that I've been I, be yeah I should be and but then like was subsequently like underwater because it was it wasn't adrenaline just carrying you through it was like okay now we're now we're to a normal place and oftentimes dealing with a normal place is harder than just uh fighting off enemies enemies being you know mental emotional yeah. hardships and yeah. sadness yeah and now it's like well there's none of that but we still feel like shit because mm -hmm. uh, it's normal yep and i think that's like a lot of times where you just become aware of the, the difficulties mm -hmm. because there's you're not fighting them off anymore right and that's kind of what, what started, I guess. Right. I guess I opened up the space in my mind to be able to go, oh, wait a second. This isn't, this isn't what I expected. And I don't have anyone keeping my mind busy by being mean to me to like focus yeah. on. And my family's not there to keep me occupied. And all of a sudden, my brain just started to wander. Yeah. And um, so I basically have, so I got incredibly depressed um, and got some like eating sure. issues and stuff like that. And then... Um, basically I've struggled with it until now. I mean, I'm on antidepressants and stuff. Um, I've had like good, basically I, so basically I've been depressed since I was like 18. Right. Um, and I do with it what I can, like, you know, some months I have a span of months that are okay. And then I have a span of months that are terrible. And, um, I was doing a little better. Um, so when I started, so my pod, the mentally, chill podcast, ILL mm -hmm. in parentheses, mentally ill. Um, I hate having to say that every time. Um, cause I don't actually like the name mentally chill. I don't, but I, the ILL, it's really stupid. It's, but it sounds, it's catchy though. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I get it. Um, I spent like three seconds naming this. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I, I like it. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, 
but I was doing okay. And so my friend Stevie, who I was doing the podcast with, her and I had talked years years prior to starting the podcast about starting the podcast on depression. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was doing way worse mm-hmm. with depression. And she was doing bad as well, obviously. But um, we didn't end up starting it. She got really busy. And then a couple, like two years went by. And then she was like, let's do that podcast. And so I said, okay. But at the time, I was kind of coming out of, not right. totally, but I was doing better. I was... Um, I was um, going to the gym a lot and staying, waking up relatively early and the, staying. The things active. you need to do to yeah, take be care like of a yourself. regular adult. Yeah. I was feeling regular-ish, and then um, Stevie committed suicide the summer, and it just shut off whatever progress I had made. It just kind of, I started to, you know, back go revert in yeah. to what I've known for a long time, and so. That was in July, and so that's why I ended up leaving LA for two months. I was actually planning on leaving anyway um, for a couple months, but um, once that happened, I said, okay, now I definitely have to leave. Um, and I'm trying to really throw myself back into uh, a better frame of mind, but it's sure. really hard. So, you know, like since you passed, I haven't, I've been sleeping, you know. I mean, I already, I always have a hard time waking up early anyway. And when I say waking up early, before she had, um, passed away, I was waking up probably at like 9.30 and that right. to me is early. Sure. Um, struggling still, but I would still do it. I'd still wake up at 9.30 or what, whenever around then. And now I'm averaging about 12.30. So right. this was actually like, we're doing this at two and, um, this was actually kind of early because yeah. I just woke up about an hour and a half ago. Um, but I can't seem to really get myself or my brain going yeah. until, you know, it takes a long time for my brain to wake up. Every morning I wake up um, it feels like, uh, it feels like I want to be dead. Right. Like there's nothing to wake up for. Everything feels heavy. My brain feels like I'm carrying around bricks in it. My mm. feet feel like there are bricks. On, you know, it just feels like I'm weighed down. And then, um, as I get going, my brain will eventually start to wake up. Right. But it's, it sucks. It takes a long time and I can't really, I can't drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, which sucks because I am like, I need caffeine. Like my right. brain needs caffeine, but I can't drink it. So, um, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's very natural when you, uh, lose anybody in your life, especially somebody you're close to that. It's going to stir the pot and it's going to make you sad because you're dealing with loss. But how much of that in terms of, um, you talked about like reverting, how much of that is just, um, this is somebody who was a partner in a journey of like talking about mental health. Uh, and then when she passes, does that like hold up a mirror to yourself and like, does it do anything in terms of like, I don't know, just, um, shining the light on like the fragility of all of us, but especially like, this is somebody I was similar to. Yeah. Um, it does. I don't consider my, I think Stevie was way, way, uh, for deeper into a depression than right. I think I can ever get to. I mean, maybe I'm underestimating myself, but it didn't really feel so much like, oh no, this could be me. Mm-hmm. It really just, it was so tragic feeling because she was so awesome. Basically, it kind of was like, um, if someone like her, and I know this is not logical and this is not the way actual my I can think around it, but... I think if someone like her who was 
so talented mm-hmm. and so beautiful and mm-hmm. so funny and had everything going for her. If someone like her thinks she shouldn't be here, then I definitely shouldn't be here. Right. You know, almost like a the wrong not and I hate to say this and I and I know this is not logical and I don't actually think this but it was almost like the thinking of like the wrong person died I think that's very reasonable I think that's a a thing a lot of people deal with when they lose somebody yeah and so you know and it was it's interesting or ironic because her grandfather had died two days before she died and uh, she was saying I should have been the one to go not him and this was, we taped a podcast episode talking about it. And I just said, that's idiotic because he's in his, you know, early eighties or late seventies. He lived a works. full life. Yeah. Right. This is, that's not reasonable. You know, your grandpa would never want that to be free. Obviously, you know, you have your whole life ahead of you and it's okay to miss him, but not, not in a million years. Would you, it's just a sad, take his need to take his place. Life, yeah. Yeah. And so now I had some of the similar feelings on her passing going, oh, it should have been me, not right, her. Right. Um, and uh, so that kind of, I guess, is what made me start to just, I guess it started, life started to feel pretty pointless again. Sure. And that's what makes it difficult for me to get out of bed. Yeah. Um, it's like she kind of, in a way, shined a light on the pointlessness of it all, mm-hmm. where I feel like, you know, the depressed me will say, um, you know, we're all just, we're all just like keeping ourselves busy until the inevitable. And so it's like, we're just tricking ourselves. We're living in a, um, we're delusional that mm-hmm. like any, you know, we wake up every morning, we got to do this, we got to do that. But it's like, we're delusional. None of that sure. needs to be done or has to be done or, you know, and so that's how I start looking at things again. But before she passed away, I was, my perspective was, wasn't that, right? you know, um, and so, um, I was in the mind frame before she died of like, how could anyone commit suicide? Like, right. how could you actually, but now I'm back in the mind frame of like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like, cause sometimes it's almost like when that depression isn't there, I feel ignorant to it, which is good. It's like a good feeling. Yeah. Cause my sister, um, never had, has never struggled with mental health or anything like that. And so she'll just say like, I just don't understand how someone could just like kill themselves. Um, and sometimes I get to that frame of mind where I'm like my sister and I'm like, I know, I don't either. And I feel just like, um, unaware and, and it's great. And that's usually when I'm happiest. Um, but right now, yeah, I'm definitely back to the place where I go. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think it's also, I think at least my experience with people who generally have that vantage point, And I think I did at one point in time is just when you haven't been around mental illness and not wrecking, you're marginalizing, um, uh, uh, mental illness as the disease that it is and that it is a chemical imbalance that it is a a actual physical chemical problem but you just can't it's not like well you have an appendicitis we'll take that out of there yeah. it's not something you can actually hold right but it is still chemically a very real thing right right um, do you think as much as like something like that holds up a mirror and like show, shines like a light on like, well, this is all just frivolous. We're all just ants, just wasting time until you know we check out. Mm-hmm. Um, but does is there any part now with some distance that does like a little bit the inverse? Like this is all pointless, so I'm gonna make the best of it. Yeah, or why not just like fuck? It doesn't matter. Yeah, just enjoy shit. Yeah, I try. I, I get moments. I get peaks. Like I get like glimpses of that, mm-hmm. and it feels great. So I actually have taken. Um, this 
um, um, little pill thing um, <laughs> that basically is, I don't, I've only taken it once or twice, but, um, and I don't even know what, what it is, mm -hmm. but it, it's seems, kind of like a happy pill. Good. Okay. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, I'll be like, whoa, whoa, this feels great. Right. I am like, I feel like a regular human. I, yeah. I, I want to shower. I mm -hmm. want to go grocery shopping. I want to go to the movies later. Um, and I can see like, yeah, it's pointless, but this feels good. This feels fun. Yeah. But my brain, I guess the chemistry naturally isn't at its own. Can't right. get to that on its own. Um, I am on antidepressants. This is a separate pill. Sure. Um, and I do think I've totally plateaued like my, I need to re I've been on Effexor for about five years, um, the same milligrams. And it's just right. now it's like played, you know? Well, it's also, I mean, I think I, I, I can't speak that, uh, I, I don't have the education to really talk about that, but like, you know, most things you develop a tolerance and also like your cells are always regenerating. So sometimes you need to change up. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I remember for, year, for years I used to have this stomach disease called colitis and I used to do, uh, I tried a bunch of different shit, but I, for a while I was doing this infusion called Remicade and like the first time I got it, I was like, holy fuck, this might be the game changer. Like this is working. And then it continued to work, but mm -hmm. like every time we got lesser and lesser mm -hmm. the potency, yeah, yeah. even when you increase the dosage. Yeah. And like that's, I think a little it bit sucks of- the tolerance, the yeah. building. The yeah, I mean, it's, but it's everything, you know, you yeah. lift 20 pounds weights for long enough, that gets easy and yeah. you gotta keep on moving. Yeah. It, it works in both health ways and in unhealthy ways. Right, right. Well, I don't have, health, I mean, I, I don't have health insurance essentially. Um, and so, going to the doctor to try to change my Ugh. prescription is not easy or possible. So the reason I've kind of just been riding out the effects are is just because I don't want to go through the withdrawals of sure. getting off of it. So I've stayed on it. And actually today is the first day um, that I started to taper on my, I mean, I, I'm doing it on my own mm -hmm. because I can't see a doctor. Um, so I'm going to try to get off of it because right now I'm having, I still have side effects from it, but yeah. we're not getting any sort of benefit right. from it. So I'm going to try to go off and then once I can see a doctor, then I'll try to go on something yeah. new. Try to do but, that, man. Be careful. Yeah, I know my friends. It's, I mean, as much as like there are things that help, but like you gotta. Yeah, I did. You, your body chemistry does change when you take something over a while. So I you gotta know. be careful with that shit. I did. Uh, so I, I basically, I have, when I say I have no health insurance, I do technically have health insurance. I have like the poor people health insurance, like LA Care. Yeah. I have literally. Um, really bad. <laughs> like I'm essentially for poor people. So yeah. Um, so I, they give you a book, uh, when you get on this Medi-Cal program of all the doctors you can see, mm -hmm. I called every psychiatrist in that book besides maybe two that had like one star reviews right. and not one of them takes it. Ugh. Um, and how infuriating is that? Like, I'm just trying to live my life, man. Can somebody just help me out right, a little? Right. And it's like someone who's depressed to try to, to climb be, that mountain. To be that proactive calling. is hard. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then on top of it, it doesn't even work out. So, um, anyway, the, really the only place I can go to get medical care is like the LA County hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess I'm going to have to go there and see if maybe, there's someone who could help me in terms of the antidepressants. But I mean, again, I've called every single psychiatrist and, and they can't. And the thing is like, I know I'll go to one of these doctors. I, I think I, I, I think I can only even go like, um, to like the urgent care. I don't right. even know if I can make a dot, like a, 
I don't think there's a, hey, is there a general doctor there that I can just have as my yeah, GP? GP? Yeah. I don't think it works like that. Um, but anyway, I did. The reason I say that is because before I got on this insurance, I had um, a full time job with health insurance and, and really good health insurance, um, which was when I was getting on the Effexor. That's right. how I got on it. And then um, I was laid off and eventually, obviously, lost my health insurance. And so I didn't have health insurance for about five or six months. And in that time, I did have to go off of my antidepressant because it was like $200 for one bottle a month. Yeah. So um, I did wean off before and I did okay. I did it on my own. I didn't feel like I had any crazy bad right, effects. Right. And then once I got my LA County insurance, um, I went back on it because the prescriptions are free, which is amazing, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's not working and I just don't have anyone I can see to really recommend something better. So that's why I'm going to go off of it right now. God, I mean, it's just, it's one thing I think just living life, even under the best circumstances is hard. Right. (laughs) Um, and then when you add on additional circumstances of like mental illness or, just fucking uh, loss in life and the difficulties that come along with that and then on top of that just having to deal with like an antiquated kind of um, colossal health system that doesn't do you any favors man it's just like it feels like an uphill battle oh it is yeah yeah, yeah you can't you can't really win yeah um, but I did find like there's a cool resource which I had no idea these things existed I'm not very resourceful as a person mm-hmm. um, so a friend of mine recommended um, a sliding scale place for therapy sure. I mean they can't prescribe medicine but I was but that's great doing that therapy very helpful, for, yeah. yeah like 30 bucks a week yeah which is I mean eventually adds up for someone who for is poor sure. 30 bucks but if, I mean obviously I could handle that um, so it was nice to have that option and then therapy I don't know how long do we do I just keep talking or are you gonna end because I feel like yeah, I'm yeah, talking no, no, forever that's fine. Right. that's fine okay. um, uh, cause my uh well, therapy, I, I liked for a while, but I almost feel like sometimes it doesn't, it like makes me worse. And so I, yes, because I, well, cause you're, you're stirring up emotions. Constantly. Otherwise it's easy to ignore. Yeah. Like, yeah. so right now I'm not going there. Um, once I left for two months, I just said, I'm going to be done with therapy for now, but you know, of course I'll contact you if I want to restart. Right. But, um, it was like, I, I, I hold on to things way too much and way too long. So those days that I was going to therapy, I would feel really terrible. And the area that it was in, like it was in the Valley and it's just like ugly and the drive there with the traffic. So I would associate therapy with like the negative, the negativity sure. of getting there and being in that environment. Um, so I almost feel slightly better not going to therapy, even well, though I really like my therapist. Yeah. I think it's hard <laughs> to separate those things because, um, I think I've told the story on this podcast before, but like I remember seeing a, a, a acupuncturist and like a homeopath once who came very high recommended from a bunch of people, but it came at a time where it was very difficult to get to. It was very expensive and it was, I was already so depleted and weak. So like I ended up resenting it and like any good that I think it could have done psychosomatically, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, okay. I have just a question. Uh, what, I guess, kind of advice do you have? We've, we've talked about a lot of things uh, from, you know, physical ailments to how that transitions into bullying to how that transitions into in, in, invariably uh, depression. Um, but what advice do you have for just like overcoming the kind of, um, 
I guess just the hardship. Honestly, the one thing that um, I can really say is that, so I have a very good friend. So basically after Stevie passed away, um, this basically like my new, basically my guardian angel came into Mm -hmm. my life. It's this dude that I'm really good friends with now. Um, But his father was a psychiatrist. And so he's really helped me over the course of the past like five or six months. But he would constantly say, um, tomorrow will be different. Mm -hmm. Which has helped me in a weird way because even though each day kind of ends up feeling the same, tomorrow might not be better, but you know it'll be different and eventually different adds up to maybe better. Right. And I know that doesn't sound great or perfect or an answer, but I've just kind of had to hold on to that this current reality that I have isn't always going to be my reality. Yeah. And to know that things change and nothing ever stays the same, which for someone like me is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what keeps me going. And my mom bought me um, a magnet. We were at the airport and I was coming back to LA. This was, um, this was actually um, before Stevie passed away. It was last winter. Um, so basically just as a little back, like quick background, um, I was in a relationship for eight years and we broke up last year and it was very difficult because at the same time I lost my job or mm. was laid off. Right. And so I went from having kind of a lot to having nothing sure. um, and was having a really hard time. And I was coming back to LA from being back for the holidays in upstate New York. And my mom, we were waiting outside security because my parents always will wait until the last minute to leave. So we have very to wait cute. outside sure. security. Sure. There was a Hudson news store and my mom came out with, um, a magnet and it was just a Winston Churchill quote which said which says if you're going through hell keep going mm-hmm. and it's like the only way out is through yeah which is also what my guardian angel friend always says um, so I guess bracing and literally it's almost like I feel like I'm looking at this current juncture in my life or junction in my life yeah juncture works juncture yeah. um, as like you're on fear factor and you have mm-hmm. to walk through a million spiders to get out to the other side. Yeah. And so basically what I'm doing is I'm just like putting my head down and going yeah. and I'm just moving forward with my head down, kind of bracing, but knowing that I will, there is an exit at the end and I will get out of it. Yeah. And that's kind of what helps me the most. Well, I think that's such like a, uh, a lovely sentiment. Uh, I mean, walking through spiders. Yes. Walking through spiders. <laughs> I mean, that is a hundred percent my nightmare, mm-hmm. but you know, if you stop in the middle of it, the mm. spiders are going to get you. You mm-hmm. got to keep going. Yeah. But I do think that it's a lovely sentiment of like tomorrow will be different because I think it's, I, there's been times where people were like it, tomorrow will be better. And it's like, fuck no, you, you don't know that. Right. I mean, it might be, but you don't fucking know. Right. And it doesn't feel that way. Right. And it does feel just like a much more manageable and pragmatic thing to say. Like, it's going to be different. It right. might it might be worse, right. but it's going to be different from what you are now. Right. And like just knowing that there's not stasis, that this isn't stagnancy, and what yeah. I'm feeling will evolve in some capacity makes everything feel a little bit more palatable. Yep, exactly. I think that's really lovely. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what does it for me, or at least, and, and I actually kind of know from experience because when I was in college, I mentioned really quickly, I had some eating issues, mm-hmm. developed a little bit of a non, um, non-labeled, unlabeled eating disorder. I don't know what the word would be, um, but basically, uh, I remember saying to my mom, I, I was obsessed with, with food and what I was eating. I wasn't right. starving myself. I wasn't throwing up, nothing like that, but I was so deeply obsessed with not eating 
the wrong thing. Sure. Becoming, or, Moralizing food, kind of. Mm-hmm. And my mom, and I just said to my mom, I don't know how I'm going to live the rest of my life like this. And she said, this isn't always going to be your reality. You right. know, something, eventually, you might get a new problem, mm-hmm. and you might forget about this one, but you're not always going to have to suffer with this problem. And it was true. You know, a couple of years, maybe, I mean, it was a long time. I had been in it for a few years, and then it took a few years after that. But five years, it was like a chunk of four, five years, but I'm not in it anymore. I don't struggle with food. I don't right. struggle with eating. And so I, I know that from that experience that this current situation I'm in of not necessarily having a job and struggling financially, this won't always be right. my problem. Maybe in five years, this will totally be gone and off cancer, but like, yeah. it'll be a different problem, yeah. you know? So honestly, that keeps me going. Cause I would prefer different problems than the same problem sure. for the rest of your life. You know, yeah. then you start feeling cuckoo. Cause you're like, it's been like 20 years and I'm still struggling with the same problem. You know, you start well, to feel like, you're well, I think it also, you talk that gets back to like the, the pointlessness of it. Like it's really pointless if like every day is the same right? and we're not evolving, we're not changing, right. we're not seeing other facets and other colors. Right. Um, well, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. For I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really uh, spewed a lot of vomit on we you. We are too. here for yeah. spewing. Let me just turn your pillow yeah, over. Yeah, just turn the pillow over. <laughs> Full circle. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You, only you. I see evidence of you and him. There you go, gang. Another episode. Mark it. Put it in the books. Another terribly funny. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, thank you so much to Kristen Carney. Uh, I really appreciate Kristen for giving some time up on your Sunday to come and chat with me. It was a great to meet you. If you want to see what else is going on with Kristen, you can check her out on Twitter. It's at Kristen Carney. That's at Kristen, C-A-R-N-E-Y. Also, check out her podcast, uh, Mentally Chill. You can check that out on Twitter. It's at Chill Mentally. At Chill Mentally. Uh, really, thank you, Kristen. Appreciate it. Also, a couple other thank yous. Thank you to Hayden Fongheiser for doing everything everything behind the scenes uh, and thank you to Julia Pot and Kingdom Flying Club for doing art and music uh, and the biggest thanks goes to you guys um, I appreciate you and I hope you're having a great week I love you <laughs>